1: Fans, uh, for the second episode of the Queen City Who's podcast, uh, we appreciate all the listeners from the first show uh, and certainly encourage all of you guys to give us any feedback, uh, good or bad, uh, that you have, so we can improve the product that we've got over here and, and continue to push out the content really that you guys want. So, uh, and thank you uh, again to everybody who listened to that first episode. Uh, we, we got over the 100 listen mark, and uh, we know this thing's going to grow. Um, you know, with the episode and the more, more audience we continue to attract. So, uh, Richie, I am officially on vacation. Uh, today was my last day of work and, um, let the festivities begin. So to speak, it's the same Thanksgiving week is here. Um, how you doing down there in North Carolina, my man?
0: Doing very good. Uh, definitely enjoying my break too. I'm a teacher, so I'm off today as well. Uh, and, and can't wait for Thursday to, to kind of pig out.
1: Absolutely. So the Hornets, um, vaulted us into the vacation uh, with a, a really a, a dud last night, which we'll get to um, a little bit later in the show here. Uh, but all of a sudden, start 8-3, and three, two losses that you feel like could have been wins. One definitely should have been a win. And now the Hornets are, are starting uh, to face some problems uh, maybe that we didn't foresee um, the last time we recorded this a week ago. So let's just jump right in with that. And, and let's start with the Atlanta game. Uh, Richie, a game where we saw the Hornets, I think, do what they've done a lot this year, fall behind. Um, Came back, got the big win. I thought it was the staple win so far this year for the Hornets. Um, I thought it was a super fun game. Probably one of the most fun games the NBA has seen in this early season. And I think if you're on Twitter, pay attention to a lot of the national writers, some of our favorites. I think that most of them uh, made that clear. So put the Hornets on the map. Uh, What were your Thoughts. What were were the bullet points from that game
0: that you had, Richie? Yeah, the bullet points from that game, you know, our third quarter actually was was our worst quarter, and that typically is our best quarter. Um, It was a back-and-forth game. I know that Zeller played, you know, very well. I think he only missed one shot from the field. Uh, He had 23 points, three blocks, and three rebounds. Uh, And then Kemba started off slow, which was, you know, he's typically our consistent player throughout the game. Um, And I don't think he made a field goal until the second half. And in the fourth quarter, uh, he kind of took over. Uh, I think he scored 10 of his 21 points in the fourth. Um, and, you know, he's, he's definitely our closer. We, we give him the ball when we need to. And overall, I think, we, you know, we played well. It was a tough, tough defensive matchup, especially against Millsap. I know that we don't really have someone that can guard him. Frank was on him a lot, um, really couldn't handle him. And then uh, Dwight Howard got ejected. So that kind of, uh, I feel like once when he left the game, uh, we kind of picked up the pace and and, and made that comeback.
1: Yeah, I think when Dwight got ejected, I thought that that was really when the game changed completely. Um, You know, him getting ejected kind of, Uh, I I think played along with the emotion uh, that was associated with that game and how badly both of those teams wanted to win. Um, But I agree with you. I think when he went out, I think everything changed. Um, Yeah, a few notes I had. You know, I think that Batum, uh, like you brought up how much Kimba struggled early, I thought Batum stepping up in that first half, and I think he only missed one shot maybe in the first half. Seven of eight, yep. Seven of eight. I mean, I was really impressed it's kind of like what we were talking about in the last episode. Like his ability to to just know, okay, I, now is when I have to, you know, I have to demand the ball. I have to go get us a bucket. You know, I have to initiate the offense. Um, he notices Kimba str- uh, struggling, comes in, has a huge first half, keeps the Hornets in the game, really um you know i was was disappointed in the defensive effort uh really for the first three eh, i'd say two and a half quarters of that game i just thought they made it easy on atlanta i thought a lot of lackluster uh effort um you know just just guy's not looking like they're clued in uh they were able to overcome that obviously um a few other things you know marvin williams he Hmm. continues to struggle but in that game, and especially in the fourth quarter, you know his ability to attack closeouts um, because guys are still the scouting report is still close out on him, chase him off the three point line, make him a ball handler, make him make a play. I thought he made some plays in that fourth quarter. Was able to to get by the defender that was closing out, and it really propelled Charlotte and kept the offense humming, uh, which it was really really good in the second half for the most part. Um, yeah, and then and then the, the the you know the Dwight ejection. I thought you you said uh, you put that into words earlier. Uh, but a huge win for Charlotte um, got them to eight and three, and really set up uh, what looked like a real promising weekend for the Hornets. Going down into a struggling New Orleans team, and then coming home against Memphis. You think, okay, that one looks like you should pencil in as a W. Uh, those did not go the way uh, that we expected him to so before I go to New Orleans anything else in Atlanta or are we ready to move down to the to the New Orleans game
0: uh, I think we're ready I mean I just think that uh, like you said Batum played very well in the first half kind of kept us in the game yeah we can move on to to New Orleans
1: okay so so the Hornets go down to New Orleans on Saturday night the next night so it's a second of a back-to-back um so you never you never know exactly Uh, You don't know what to expect in these. Uh, Second of a back-to-back, especially going on the road. Um, You know, I I thought the Hornets were good early. You know, I thought they took control of that game for really most of three and a half quarters. You know, I think Marco Bellinelli is really the thing to take away from this game, going seven and nine from deep. Uh, Really, his coming out party. uh, And really right on cue and good timing for him as we were seeing his praises last week. Uh, But in the end... There's just no answer for Anthony Davis for Charlotte. He goes for 38 points, 15 to 27 from the field, 16 rebounds. I mean, the guy's everywhere. He's a freak. I'm not really quite sure if he's human. Uh, but, but like most teams, Charlotte didn't have an answer for him. Uh, Richie, I mean, what would you take away? A really disappointing loss for the Hornets in overtime. Anything that stuck out to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a very, very depressing, depressing loss there. I mean, we had we had a great third quarter, and uh, like you said, we played great three and a half quarters. Uh, but then we just kind of let it slip away. And this was the game that you know Cody Zeller sat out because of uh, a shoulder injury, and he probably wouldn't have the best matchup for Anthony Davis on the defensive end. So that probably helped them get a little bit better in that aspect. And he was he was pretty money down the stretch, uh, Anthony Davis. That is. Um, other than that, uh, Galloway. For whatever reason, went off three-point shooting in the fourth, and uh, we just couldn't – down the stretch, we just didn't have good shots when when we needed it.
1: Yeah, and to New Orleans' credit, I mean, they hit the big shots when they needed to, and that's a great point about Galloway, who – You know, showed ability. I think when he was with the Knicks, to knock down, you know, the outside shot. Definitely a really streaky player, and the Hornets, you know, caught him on the wrong night as he played a ton of minutes in the second half. Um, Goes six of eleven from deep. I mean, he he was really a thorn in the Hornets' side there in the second half. But you know, when you're playing against a guy like Anthony Davis you know there has to be a second defender that comes to help and a lot of in a lot of sequences there's a second defender that comes to help and then a third defender um, that shades so really you're talking about th- you know two help defenders in a lot of sequences when the Pelicans decide to ISO Anthony Davis, which is all the time almost. Um, So it's just, you know, when guys like Galloway and Drew Holiday, uh, you know, and Dante Cunningham are knocking down three-pointers, you're in trouble, Uh, you know. So Andy Davis does not have a great supporting cast, but he has enough with all the space that he creates just from the defensive attention that he demands. the other guys are knocking down shots. The Pelicans are going to be in games. Uh, And the Hornets learned that the bad way. You know, I thought that, and, and you made a great point about Zeller, so let's let's stay there for a second. The offense without Zeller. I, I think there are numerous things that stick out to me, uh, Richie. I think the thing that sticks out the most is that the Hornets really struggle to get action going towards the basket. Yes. So we've already talked about how good he is in the pick and roll, how he can look like he's going to set a screen one way and flip his body to set it the other way. Now the defender's turned around. Now the help defender's turned around. Now Kimba's got a straight line to the rim and everybody's scrambling defensively, okay? Or he sees that his guy jumps north of the screen. He's slipping. I mean, name what Zeller does well with the pick and roll right now, or the ball screen. He is doing it. I don't think I realized how much different the offense would look without him on the floor. But, wow, these last two games have been a testimony of just how important he is to this offense and to go on top of that, how important he is to Kimba's success because as Zeller has been out of the lineup, Kimba has looked like a completely different player.
0: Correct. I mean, he, it seems like our offense since he's left, uh, has been very perimeter oriented. Um, you know, Kimba can create shots for himself. Uh, but with Zeller in there and setting those screens for him, it just opens up a lot. And he kind of initiates the offense when he sets those screens and just things things go as as he goes. And like you said, when he left you just really didn't know if it was gonna have that big of an impact offensively. Uh, but it clearly has shown that, you know, his absence has as created holes on the offensive end.
1: Yeah, it really has. And you know, for a guy who we're talking about in Cody Zeller last year is Man, what a low offensive feeling he has compared to what everybody said he could be. Um, I don't think anybody saw this coming, especially this quickly. So the Hornets need Zeller. They need him healthy. They need him on the floor. Uh, but that comes with needing to be careful with a guy who's kind of shown to be a little bit injury prone. So, so he sits out last night against Memphis as well. Okay, let's let's see. Let's stay on this New Orleans game for just a few more seconds. So Bellinelli, I, I, I think that, you know, we talk about the offensive struggles. I think that he has, you know, he has kept the ship on course somewhat, um, even last night against Memphis um, with the perimeter-oriented offense that you're talking about. Bellinelli has been incredible um, shooting the ball and just creating for the Hornets, which a lot of people said before the season, hey, you know, Jeremy Lin, it sucks we lost him, and what a what a great creator he is. I think Bill Inally has proved he's not just an outside shooter. I mean, that guy can make plays out of the pick and roll. He can, he can you know, he sees the floor, he reads the help defense, um, and he's been a creator, I think, next to Kimba late in the game for the Hornets, and he's finished these past two games with the starters. Yes,
0: and it, like, and I, I don't know if you saw that pass where he made to to Hibbert on the run. He was like, yeah, I mean, it yeah. it was it looked more difficult. I'm sorry, it looked easier than it was. Um, and just kind of leading Hibbert on the run. He didn't make the layup, but he he gets others involved. He had four assists that game. Uh, and the funny thing is, he also had ten rebounds, uh, ten defensive rebounds. And he you know he doesn't mind getting the defensive rebound and, and taking the ball up the court.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I think Bellinelli's proven his stock. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone should really. There's things to panic about. Ramon Sessions is one of them, but but you know, Bellinelli. Uh, his ability to create I think should should prove uh very important for the Hornets and and the fact that he's he's finished some of these games um you know with the starters in the end kind of proves his worth here, especially with Jeremy Lamb out. Okay. So in overtime the Hornets get outscored thirteen to eight. It's kind of the same story. I mean there's no answer for Anthony Davis. He scores eight points in overtime, goes four or five from the field um and the Hornets just stunk it up. Made two field goals in overtime, two of nine from the field um and and that was that in a, in a game that really you could feel slipping away from the Hornets slipping away um and indeed it did in the end drops them to eight and four okay uh last night against memphis easily charlotte's worst game of the season um i would say easily kim walker's worst game of the season uh, we talked about how different it you know it looks without zeller um, that makes it five straight wins for Memphis. So maybe something I didn't see coming, uh, maybe something maybe you saw coming. I, I, I don't know. I did not see that coming last night, but the Hornets ran into a buzzsaw. It's the Memphis Grizzlies right now, and we're down as much as 26, and all of a sudden now the Hornets sitting 8-5, and, and we're scratching our heads with San Antonio coming into town thinking, oh, no, what's about to happen? So what, what were your thoughts, uh, Rich, on last night?
0: I mean, definitely another slow start, uh, but – I just sensed that it was a little bit different than normal. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it. it. They just seemed off the energy level outside of MKG, and MKG's energy level has been awesome the past couple of games, you know, crashing the offensive boards. Um, and he, his energy actually kind of kept us in the game in that first half. Uh, without it, it would have been even a you know a, a larger deficit to overcome. You know, Bellinelli shot the ball well. Um and then just our defense was was lacking. Uh rotations were, were poor, closeouts were poor, and then like I said, the energy kind of led to sloppy turnovers, mental lapses. I know we had a couple of defensive three seconds, we had a lane violation, you know, just things here and there that you're not typical, uh typical Hornet basketball that that, that we saw last night. And, you know, once again, it was just too much of a, a deficit to overcome in the second half. And we, we made our run. We kind of expected it, um, but it was just too little too late
1: yeah i i think that i was um i, I am shocked I, I was really shocked at the energy level i mean i think you hit it right on the head i did not expect the hornets and they're so good it seems like in the games that they're supposed to win they take care of business in those games uh you know although they don't always make it easy on themselves they find a way to get it done um and last night it, it just looked like a team that did not want to be on the court um and kimball walker i mean i he just looked like a zombie out there. I mean, there was no aggression trying to go to the rim. Um, he could not get the ball off the dribble into the painted area. And look, you, I mean, you got to give Memphis credit. I mean, I don't want to take away from what, what they were doing. So really, I'm, I'm in this mental battle of like, all right, is was Kemba just tired, disinterested, uh, and we 're not disinterested, but was Kim attire? Was he worn out? Uh, has this all this early season success and energy he's has to exert to to have this success? you know Is it catching up to him a little bit? Um, if the answer is yes, we certainly saw the results of that last night, um, but at the same same time, this mental battle is is Memphis man I, and we know they 're good defensively, but no team in the league has even come close to corralling Kimba like they did last night. And I just think they're so good in the pick and roll and the communication. Mike Conley's one of the best in the league in getting over screens. And when he, when he doesn't get over the screen and he still has to trail the ball handler, he's one of the best at getting right on their hip without fouling, staying right kind of in that ear hole and say, and, and you know, letting, letting that guy know I'm here. I, I don't know. I, I just, I thought they bothered Kimba last night I think there is also a little bit of the factor that he is a little tired. He has given so much to this team earlier in the season um, that he might need a breather. And Clifford might've made that clear without actually saying that today, the Hornets are not having a shoot around tomorrow morning uh, in in prep for the San Antonio game. I think he senses a little bit of uh, a little bit of lackluster, you know, mentally and physically behavior from this Hornets team. So I, I, you know, it was a, Everything went wrong for the Hornets in that game. There's a lot of things to talk about, I think, if you really want to dive in deep, which I don't know we want to do. But Kimball was the most surprising uh, aspect of this one to me. He just looked disinterested to me, Rich.
0: Right. I mean, surprising in a negative way, but we could also go surprising the positive way. uh, And we're we're all looking at, you know, Frank Kaminsky last night. He he was the one that got us back into the game. Uh, His plays down low, his plays out, you know, deep from three. He, uh, his energy, along with MKG's, kind of brought us back into it, and it was, it was nice to see. Uh, We don't always see it from Kaminsky. He's had his up and down season, Um, but he shot the ball well last night. He was uh, three for four from three points and nine of eleven overall. So he shot the ball very, very well, and he took advantage of Jamichael Green when when he was guarding him, uh, posted him up, and. When it was you know a bigger guy, he stretched he stretched the floor and and made made his three. So surprising on one end with Kimba doing bad, surprising on good end with Kaminsky uh, kind of spearheading that that comeback.
1: Okay, so Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> so I have I have no idea what I'm going to get from night to night. And, and with a second year player, I guess I'm okay with that. Um, I guess I can live with that. You know, there's going to be inconsistency associated with a guy who. Really doesn't know exactly what his position is. Get that there's going to be some inconsistent natures uh, associated with that. I got it, um, but man, I mean the game he plays against Atlanta, and then the game, and then for most of the game against New Orleans, you're like this. This guy, this guy's, like I had in my notes here, Frank sucks right now, quote unquote, is what I wrote in, in the first in the first half. Uh, of the of the New Orleans game because, you know, it's a carryover from the Atlanta game. And then last night, he's the only reason the Hornets actually make that run. And last night, not only is he hitting shots, but the Hornets are going down the floor and they're feeding him the ball in isolation situations. You know, so to go from a guy who can, you know, the coach is probably sitting there, do I even bring this guy in the game, is he worth the menace tonight, to the next game – going to a guy who the Hornets are ISO on the other end uh, and, and giving him the ball and looking to him to find the bucket, I that that is very rare in this league. And, and I think that is something to really watch with Frank. And where his minutes go, I, I can't imagine as a coach and watching a kid like that play that gives you every, you know, the house and the beachfront property in one game. And then the next game, he almost he gives you next to nothing and is a zero on both ends of the floor so you know we, i think we all understand the ability is there but the inconsistency is something that has got to be hard on Clifford. It's got to be hard on the coaching staff um, to sit there and watch Marvin Williams struggle but not know what you're going to get from Frank Kaminsky. So that was my rant that we were texting about, Richie. Now now let me hear you follow up
0: on that. So I, I, I definitely would agree with you with Kaminsky. I think that you know from night to night, you just never know what you're going to get with him. Uh, you know, Offensively, he can stretch the floor and he can have nights like this in Memphis where, where he, you know, he shoots 75% from three, takes advantage of, of the, the smaller guys in the post, and, and scores that way but like you said you just never know what you're going to get with him especially on the defensive end and at least with Marvin you know he, he does bring it uh rebounding the ball and on the defensive end as well
1: no I love that I, I think that's really good analysis and, and Richie while you're there let's uh it sounds like sounds like the pop wants to shout out so tell us tell us the pop's name uh, I could hear him shaking back there in the background giving a few sniffs uh well what's uh, he it sounds like he's ready for Thanksgiving
0: Oh, uh, you, you can hear that. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my dog. Uh, my dog Sutton. <laughs> Sutton. Sutton. Hornets fan as well.
1: I'm sure she is. She's also a, a Tar Heel fan. Ah, uh, all right. Well, yeah, that's something you and I haven't dabbled into yet. But as ACC basketball plays, you will. Uh, oh God, that means you're a Carolina fan. Oh
0: man. Okay. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. My wife is. Oh
1: no, no, no. Oh, that's your wife. Okay, good. That makes me feel a little bit better. But Sutton and I can see eye to eye on the Hornets. Definitely not the Tar Heels. Um, so Sutton can hang around. If he's a Hornets fan, he's welcome anytime. Um, okay, so let me ask you this: with a gun to your head, who do, is it time to start talking about starting
0: Frank over Marvin? Uh, I would. It's iffy. It's iffy. I, I I think as of now, I would say no. I think that if Marvin continued this for next you know another five five ten games. I think it would be a conversation to have. I think defensively and rebounding, Marvin's going to give it to you every night. And that is one thing that you can count on with Marvin. And it doesn't mean that Frank can't close games. It just means that I think that we need to come out strong defensively, get those rebounds. And I think as of now, I think I would stick with Marvin at the starting four position.
1: I agree with you. I think... You know, and there's a few reasons <clears throat> because of this. the first reason is that when I ask you that question, I could hear Sutton shake in the background, which Ted was telling me he was like, no, 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 heck no, 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 do not start Frank over Marvin and Sutton. Let me let me tell you, I agree with you. OK, so I, I think Marvin, I, I think he's still more he's a glue guy for this offense. OK, I know he's struggling to shoot the ball right now, and I can't tell you that that's Going to get better. I think it'll get better from what it's been, which is pretty pathetic here in the past three games. But you know, I think there's a guy who understands his role offensively, and what I mean by that is he's he's a very heady, high IQ floor spacer. Okay, so he knows where the open space is. He knows when there's dribble penetration where he's supposed to space to. Um, You know, these are the kind of things that I'm not sure that Frank is. Uh, He's not tuned into yet, especially with the starting unit. Um, And and I think he's more of a creator. He's more of a guy who needs the ball in his hands uh, to, you know, to put it on the floor, to get to the rim, uh, to ISO. You know, he's a guy who you need off the bench uh, to give you those, you know, to get up those seven to eight to nine shots, you know, a night in 25 minutes off the bench to give that second unit some offensive firepower. I think Marvin fits more with the second unit, um, I'm not sure that all the Hornets fan base, I think they're really fed up with Marvin right now. I think that the the fact that Frank gives you these lightning in a bottle type of n- offensive nights, they would say, Hey, let's start saying, let's start talking about Frank starting over Marvin. It's not that simple. Okay. Uh, the starting unit needs to be five guys that understand uh, each other very well, understand what their identity is as a team, as a whole, Um, And really, you need to have the experience out there to start games. So I I think it's very, very, very uh, premature to start talking about Marvin taking the bench and Frank coming in to start. I think you need – I don't care how good Frank gets, okay, moving throughout the season. You need a guy like that coming off the bench with the Bellinellis and with Ramon Sessions who's really struggling right now. You know, think about putting Marvin and his struggles onto the bench Coming out with some of those guys, you make your second unit worse, and it doesn't necessarily make the team better. Um, So, you know, that's what I would beg, you know, a lot of Hornets fans to really think about right now. Um, But it's a question that inevitably and inevitably is going to continue to come up, Richie, as uh, as Frank continues to what we what we hope play well. Uh, But I think it's a question that we need to uh, we need to temper. Uh, what we're really talking about and think twice about right I mean how long would you give it? Oh gosh you mean you mean what's the leash on Marvin
0: right I mean like 15 games 20 games I
1: mean I think it depends like if if we're talking about all right that that's actually that's a really good question. okay, so if we're talking about Marvin like through you know 20 games shooting you know being at some ridiculous clip from behind the arc um you know like a 25 percent clip then i would tell you okay you know we got to start having discussions about what are whether are other what are other are other options i mean is it is it frank necessarily do you keep frank with the bench and, and just go smaller with your starting lineup and maybe plug Bellinelli to the three and move mkg to the four you know i, I don't know what the answer to that is but as you asked me that question, now I just want to look up what Marvin is doing for the season from behind the arc. And right now – Not good. Not good, but not as – I mean, yeah. I mean, last year he was almost 40%. You know, now he's – right now he's 32.5% from behind the arc. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that if he stays there at 32.5%, 33 you know, 32 you know, something like that, I think that you just live with it. Honestly, because I think he does another. You know, he does enough things on the floor, and can switch so much defensively that you feel more comfortable. On you know, with him, especially with Batum and MKG uh, on the floor. Um, you know, if that number goes to you know twenty eight per, you know, he just really goes into a rut and dips. You know, south of thirty percent, and it you know gets twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. You know, now I think you start talking about other options and I don't know I think I would lean more toward you know towards the MKG at the four and either Jeremy Lamb when he's healthy at the three or Marco Bellinelli uh at the three I don't know that I like Frank in the
0: starting year yeah I definitely think the focus will be more on 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 Marvin and seeing how he plays and you know, it's not necessarily going to be how well Frank plays because, like you said, we need that offensive output on the bench. As far as the rotation goes and how it would change things if Marvin continues to struggle, I, I do like your idea of kind of maybe inserting Lamb at that at that three position and going a little small.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I just think. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, if Marvin continues to struggle, say we get, you know, we do get to twenty twenty five games, and he's. Let's just picture the worst-case scenario, and he's south of 30% three-point shooting. The, the biggest punch to the gut for the Hornets is that the scouting report, now you have enough sample size, uh, the rest of the league I'm speaking for, to say, you know what? We're going to make this guy shoot the ball. So now all of a sudden there's less space on the floor for the Hornets. Um, and they're almost having to reinvent the way they play offensively because teams just aren't guarding him the same and those attacking the closeouts that I talked about earlier you know, those opportunities aren't there because they're making him shoot it I don't think we're going to get to there uh, but if we do you know, I think it's you know, what I said earlier and what you kind of repeated I think it's Lamb or it's Bellinelli at three probably would lean towards Lamb I like Bellinelli off the bench um, you know, and go small you know, and just experiment with that. Hey, Clifford's not a small ball kind of guy. Uh, he's experimented with it. You know, late in games a few times. He does not like to start games like that. But I just don't know how comfortable I am with Frank starting at this point. Uh, people would disagree with me, but um, that that that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Anything else? We kind of parlayed the uh, the Memphis game into the Frank. Marvin discussion. Anything else you've got on the, on the Frank Marvin thing before we move on?
0: Nothing really. I mean, like you said, we just we just need to hope that that Marvin doesn't keep this dip going because he's he's a career shooter at you know thirty five, mid thirties three point shooting, and right now, like you said, he he's low thirties. And last year, like it was kind of a random year above forty. We're not expecting that. We just kind of hope he gets back up to that mid mid thirty range.
1: Okay. Let's um. Let's kind of stay on this. Rotation question and, let, and let's move over to Ramon Sessions um I, I don't think I'm breaking news by saying that he is really really struggling right now probably more than anyone else on this team um especially offensively I mean I think Sessions has given you effort defensively I think he's you know he's a pass and cut catch you know high IQ kind of guy now. He's not the Ramon Sessions of old. that forces his way to the basket all the time. So, you know, I don't – I like that about him. But what he's doing right now offensively, 30% from the field, 18% (laughs) from behind the arc, and he doesn't take many threes, but he's not making any of them. He's just so easy to defend right now that I think it might be time – to ask the question Richie is it Brian Roberts time as a backup point guard in
0: Charlotte I mean I'm sure it sure it wouldn't hurt I guess I I do like Sessions to an extent I think he does offer some things when it comes to his driving ability but like you said he's not shooting the ball uh at all well um like you said very very poor from the three-point line and he just needs to stop stop with three-point shooting and just kind of run the offense and kind of transform his game now that he's 30 years old, become more of a distributor. Try to get the more you know the bench players involved, like Bellinelli, Lamb. When he's healthy, he doesn't need to do too much. And if he starts to do too much and it comes you know detrimental to the team, I think maybe the the question of whether or not Brian Roberts should be starting as that backup point guard uh, could come into play. As of now, I, I'm still sticking with Sessions. I don't know what your thoughts are. Um, you know Brian Roberts did get into the game. Uh, yesterday didn't really provide much because it was garbage time but you know it it could be up for consideration kind of like the the Marvin situation
1: yeah i, I mean i kind of uh, you know i i took sessions back last week and and told everyone that don't panic and be patient this guy's doing the little things he needs to do the numbers will come around and i don't necessarily think that won't be the case um but i you know Kind of to your point, which is you're not asking this guy to do a lot. You're just asking him to come in, try to steady the ship, uh, you know, and and just get the Hornets into their stuff. And I think Robert, Ryan Roberts can do that. Um, You know, I I think around players like Marco Bellinelli, who's taken on a lot of the ball handling responsibilities for the second unit, plus a guy like Frank Kaminsky, who the more and more we watch play, you say, okay, here's our ISO guy with the second unit. And a guy you can just throw the ball into and kind of play around him makes everybody's job a little bit easier. Um, You know, I think Brian Roberts is actually suited better to do that. Okay, because he's a better shooter. Uh, he's not a slasher. He's not a guy that's going to get to the rim and finish. But the Hornets, you know, their pay dirt is off of getting the ball close to the rim. Have a lot of tall, bigger guys who can pass it, kick it out, get defensive rotations, knock down shots. Okay, now Brian Roberts fits that definition better than Ramon Sessions does. Um, but no one could see this coming from Sessions. Okay, no one saw this you know, career worst numbers. Uh, I mean, and I mean, his numbers right now are, I mean, they are so far below his career marks. It's, it's almost hard to fathom in every single category. He's almost 17% or excuse me, 13% uh, below his field goal average. He's 12% below his three point average, which wasn't good in the first place. Uh, And then he's he's 17% lower in field free throw shooting. So, He is a zero right now, and he's already not a great defender, although I I feel like he is trying more than I've seen him try in his career. You know, I I think it's time to ask that question, and I would not be surprised at all here in these next few games if you see Brian Roberts getting maybe some spot minutes, um, you know, with the second unit, maybe early in the second half, maybe when the Hornets are struggling offensively just to to give him some firepower because he can score the ball,
0: um, and and he can definitely shoot it. So it's something to keep to keep your eye on. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think that there are some things that, that Brian Roberts does that kind of better fits our our system, and Sessions sometimes tries to do too much um, that is not really in his wheelhouse. Like he, he he does get a little out of control driving to the basket. At least Brian Roberts seems to be a little bit more steady in his play and kind of knows his role with the team. Um, and like you said, Clifford likes to work inside out. And Roberts, on the occasion, could could hit down that three.
1: All right. Um. So, anything else? You know, we've kind of been on this rotation discussion. Anything else? The rotation, uh, Richie, that, that you see. You know, just a note I made in the last few games. You know, I know they're managing his minutes, but Roy Hibbert has looked like a real liability. I mean, last night you go against who traditionally Marcus All is kind of a bruiser around the basket um, is pulling him away from the basket and just making Hibbert look like that dinosaur that everyone says he you know he was had become in the NBA are you concerned about Hibbert yet or are you just like look he's, he's working his way back to health he,
0: he missed I don't know two weeks I guess there where do you stand on that I'm not totally concerned with Hibbert I think that you know he he's a good rim protector that's what we brought him in for I just think that he didn't really match up well with Gasol because Gasol has extended his range out to that three-point line. I don't think he really shot the ball that well last night, but at least giving him the thought of you know taking that shot from the perimeter. And, you know, Hibbert's just not equipped to guard anyone out there. So from a night-to-night basis, it's going to be more of a matchup type of deal with Hibbert. Like if, if there's a guy that can play inside and out, There's no reason for Hibbert to be starting. Um, We saw that last night. Hibbert did not... He started uh, the game, but did not start the second half just because of the matchup problems. He's going to be guarding the players that, like you say, are going to be bruising down low. There's no reason for him to be guarding someone that has the inside and outside uh, presence. So, really, it's just going to come down to who the matchup is. I'm not all that concerned because I know who Hibbert is. Hibbert, I never expected him to guard someone on the outside. Um, But... You know, with today's game it seems like there's more and more people extending it out to the three point line.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think you definitely have got it clued in with he's a matchup uh, kind of guy. I, it's it's really disappointing, um, you know, with Hibbert. You know, just the way he started the season and then he has to go through this injury and he comes back and it seems like he just gets some matchups that aren't favourable for him when he needs to be out there because Zeller's out and and now we're all of a sudden asking ourselves this question again it's like oh gosh you know is is this the the player that the league said he was was just irrelevant kind of guy which i don't i agree with you i don't necessarily believe but it is going to be a matchup uh kind of deal with him from night to night okay so it comes out today uh, i guess jeremy lamb must have gone through practice to some extent he is likely They quote unquote likely to play tomorrow. Um, How big is that for this
0: second unit that has seen some real uh, inconsistencies from night to night? I mean, I I think it's huge because you just never know what you're going to get night to night from that second unit. Um, You know, one night it'll be Bellinelli, one night it'll be Frank Kaminsky, who's who's you know bringing the load up offensively. Before he got injured, Lamb was was the one that kind of was the scoring the scoring guard for us in that in that backup unit and. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get back to that that output that he had prior to his injury, uh, but it's always good to have another body in there and of you know of his scoring quality.
1: Yeah, I think that Lamb you know is definitely going to going to help the second unit. Um, you know, I, I, <clears throat> Lamb and Bellinelli playing together it kind of excites me. Um, you know, I think they complement each other well. I don't think Lamb is really good with the ball in his hands, having to create in a pick and roll situation. Um, You know, but he can do things when he puts the ball on the floor and and has made up his mind what his actual end goal is. Uh, But I think a guy like Bellinelli, who's kind of the opposite, has always got a plan, makes really quick decisions. Um, plays the game the way it's supposed to be played which is a very reactionary sense um, you know he doesn't hesitate to make decisions so I, I really am looking forward to seeing lamb get out back out there hopefully stay healthy um, do the things he needs to do off the floor which has always kind of been uh, you know I think the knock on him is from a Steve Clifford standpoint um, but I'm looking forward to watching those two play together. You know, I I think it only makes the team better. And I think that what we were talking about earlier, again, Richie, if we find ourselves in a situation where Marvin just really can't get out of his funk, Lamb's a guy who I think really with his length, with his athleticism, with his continued uh, learning commitment to defense, which I think is has gotten him in the doghouse some in the past with Clifford, you know, he's a guy who you can slide into the starting unit, and he's more switchable defensively, I think, than maybe people realize with his uh, with his length. So certainly happy to see Lamb uh, likely to be back tomorrow night in against San Antonio in the Spectrum Center, Richie, in a nationally televised game.
0: So a really good segue here. What do you got for tomorrow night? Oh, it's definitely going to be a, a challenge with San Antonio. Uh, they played last night against uh, the Mavericks, who are I think like two and eleven or three and eleven. Uh, but they barely squeaked out a win, and, and I don't think that you know Popovich was that excited about Spurs' play. So you wonder if they're going to come back tomorrow night with a little bit more energy. Um, same thing that we need to bring on Wednesday night. Um, they're just a very sound team offensively and defensively. They're top ten in both. Um, they, like us, don't commit a lot of turnovers. And they're a very methodical team. And then, you know, they've got Kawhi Leonard and, and some bigs that are going to pose some problems as well. So it's definitely going to be a tough matchup. We can't beat ourselves. Uh, and if we do, uh, it's going to be all over for us
1: yeah no i agree i mean it's just like rinse and repeat kind of deal with the spurs i mean last night you know he gives tony parker a night off so you got to expect a, a tony parker who's going to be you know as close to 100 percent as, as he is ever going to be at his age now but i mean look pop <laughs> pop has no problem with going 11 deep uh if he needs to there's some there's some guys on this on this roster that i don't even know who they are um but He's not scared to play anybody and that's just the kind of coach he is. You know, he's he's going to play the guy who's given him effort from night to night. He's going to play the guy who's sticking to the system. Night to night he's going to play the guy who's passing the ball, cutting, you know, uh being you know being active, I would say without the ball is really the most important thing to pop especially offensively for this team. So, here's another opportunity for the Hornets after two really disappointing losses unfortunately to come in and and get a huge win at home in front of a national TV audience on Thanksgiving Eve. I mean, wow. You know, I know that a lot of hardcore NBA fans look at the Hornets and say, man, they've been impressive this year so far. This is definitely should be a playoff team. I think your average fan doesn't know a lot. You should have a lot of eyes in front of the Hornets tomorrow night, and it would be really encouraging to see them come out and play well you know, just kind of looking through the Spurs and what they've done so far this year, I think that Paul Gasol has been what you expect Paul Gasol to be. Kawhi Leonard has been a fringe MVP candidate. He's always a tough matchup. I feel like we feel like we're well suited for that with MKG. Um, and then from there, you know, it's just a bunch of guys who are bought in. And that's where the Hornets, I think, are going to have. The toughest time is that with San Antonio, when you get to that second unit, when they're going 10 deep, maybe when they go 11 deep, you know, how does Clifford match that and how deep is he willing to go? Um, so that I think that's kind of an interesting storyline. Is there a matchup you see tomorrow that you think is more important than any other, Richie?
0: Not off the top of my head. I mean, I know that you said that MKG will match up well with Kawhi Leonard. Um, like you said, he, I was. When he played that first game against um, Golden State, I was thinking that because you know now Tim Duncan's away from the team, he, it, it's his team now, and I know that Tim Duncan didn't have a you know an amazing year last year, but they're putting the ball in his hands a lot more, and he's scoring the basketball. And like you said, he is a fringe MVP candidate, and he does everything well between the the rebounds, the steals, uh, the scoring. Now he shoots well from deep, so I mean I think the focus. Is going to be on Leonard, and I think that MKG has you know the full capabilities of shutting him down to an extent. Um, but I do think that if he goes off, you know the Spurs go as as Leonard goes. Yeah, I don't
1: think there's any doubt about that. He's their guy. Um, this is just kind of a side note. I watched a little bit of that game last night. This is just the kind of coach that Pop is, and this is how rare it is. I think in the NBA to see a guy like this, Jonathan Simmons for the spurs is an absolute freak athlete if you have not seen this guy play um watch him tomorrow when he gets minutes he comes in last night he makes two plays that if either one of these dunks goes in and they probably both should have um he probably should have made both these dunks if either one of them goes in both of them are shoe in top 10 sports center any sporting television uh, you know, top 10, they're going to be in it. He misses those dunks. He comes and sits down and doesn't go back in the game. I mean, th- there's that's like a high school, like if, if you go to dunk it, you better finish it. Or a college, if you go to dunk it, you better finish it. If you don't, you're coming to sit on the bench. That's like a teaching point for kids, right? Not for, for pros. And I saw that last night, and he sits Simmons after those two missed dunks, and he doesn't go back in. And I, and I just think, wow, I mean, this guy, Pop is – he's unlike any coach in the NBA. He's so committed to what he believes in, what he thinks, you know, produces success. Um, and he has his team-building principles. And if you don't buy into that, I don't care how good you are, you will not play. Uh, it's just, It really is so impressive. And this team just spits out 60 wins year after year. So the Hornets have them coming in tomorrow night, and they have a big opportunity. Um. You know, I, I think the Spurs, the only other thing I would say about them is I think they're super versatile. You know, I think they have a lot of guys who can play multiple positions. Um, oh, and, and we left out a big thing, Richie. They also did not play LaMarcus Aldridge last night. So on top of Tony Parker's rest, he rests LaMarcus Aldridge, which also is not uh, not great for the Hornets. Who, who do you see? I mean, how do you see the LaMarcus Aldridge match up for – for the Hornets, which it's either going to have to be Zeller or Marvin. I think we all expect it to probably be Marvin. Um, do you think that's a big time positive for the Spurs? I mean,
0: is that a serious mismatch for Charlotte? I mean, it would be more of a mismatch if, if Hibbert was out there. I, do we know the status of, of Zeller? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I
1: don't know that we know he's playing tomorrow night. I have a f- I have a gut feeling that the real reason they held him out last night is to make sure he was available for that game on Wednesday against San Antonio on national TV. I could be completely off because late last week, I really just thought that Zeller, or on Saturday night, I just thought Zeller was getting a rest in New Orleans um, where he actually did have to get an MRI on his shoulder. Um, I think he'll play, but we don't have official words. So that's a good point. Let's talk about that. If Zeller doesn't play, you start Hibbert on Gasol. Correct. And then you have to deal with Aldridge, with Marvin. Um, what uh, I mean, that creates all kinds of situations because now San Antonio can stagger Gasol and Aldridge's minutes and at some point
0: Hawes, you have to suffer with Hawes on the floor. Yeah, that, that gets sticky there. Yeah, I mean he's always gonna be a tough matchup, Lamarcus, that is. I mean he's he has that mid range game, he can work it down in the post. And he, like what like we talked about prior, if you know, you have a big guy that can work inside and out, it's gonna give matchup problems, especially when you have Hibbert on the floor, uh and then if they stagger him, you know, in the second unit, not sure I mean Kaminsky could <sighs> Kaminsky could kind of stay with him, and he has somewhat of the the athletic, more athletic build than than Hibbert. But it's going to be a definitely a tough matchup with uh, with LaMarcus.
1: Agreed, agreed on that. Okay, um, and let's just you know be on the record for you know we're recording this on um, on Tuesday night, so we do not have an official word on Zeller. A lot of people will probably be listening to this tomorrow, and by then there'll be a word so um, let's hope zeller plays I, I think he will play um but we will have to wait and see um okay let's move on um and then the hornets go uh, from san antonio wednesday have thanksgiving off like the rest of the league uh friday they'll have new york and then saturday they'll have new york so richie tell us a little bit about the knicks uh what you see with this team biggest problems they present, how important this
0: back-to-back series with them or with an Eastern Conference opponent is early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that this should be back-to-back wins against a team that is is struggling defensively. Um, They have, you know, they have some players that are, you know, common names throughout the NBA with Porzingis and and Carmelo and Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah, Uh, but they're just, they're not meshing right now. You know, Melo is a ball stopper, and they don't get to the line a lot. So that's kind of like you know one of our calling cards is we get to the line a lot. They don't get to the line all that often. And one problem, I guess that that they could present, and we've had trouble with this in the past, uh, is is offensive rebounding. They're they're a top five team when it comes to offensive rebounding uh, between Noah and Porzingis. And I know Noah sat out uh, the previous game that they played because of illness. So I'm I'm assuming he'll be he'll be good to go come Friday and Saturday
1: yeah i feel like we match up pretty good with new york um i mean carmelo is obviously carmelo but um you know porzingis is the other tough matchup on the floor uh the rest uh, of new york you know i'm not super concerned about you know i think you got to keep that second unit out of transition uh and not turn it over against them you know when they get brandy jennings out there who can be electric at the open floor you know i think you just got to stay in front of rose which you know kimba should be fine to do um but, yeah, if you solve the puzzle of Carmelo Anthony isolations um, and then Porzingis and really just make sure that you don't, you know, you make him take outside shots. I know he's a good shooter, but, you know, when that guy has a free roll to the rim, if he's got anything around the rim, uh, that you know, that comes with space, you're in trouble. So you've got to make him an outside shooter, and he will take bad shots um, if, if you, you know, if you make sure you take away the rim from him. Um, so I think the Hornets match up well. These back-to-backs always seem to just be trade-offs. So it'll be interesting. But, you know, start in New York on Friday night, come back in Charlotte on Saturday night. I believe that is right. Is that right, Richie? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, we've got – it's been a lot of games here recently for the Hornets um, in, in a short amount of days. And the trend com- continues um, tomorrow night, starting three games and four nights. And you know we're we're approaching that that 15 game mark, which always seems to be that point where people really start to draw um, their opinions about teams. So the Hornets need to ditch tomorrow, last night, uh, last night's performance, which was not a go and worse of the season, and move on in what is going to be a big, big opportunity tomorrow night against San Antonio. Okay, so Richie, let's um, in in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Let's talk about a few things that we are thankful for, uh, and, and let's make this the Hornets edition of thankfulness or thanksgiving. And I'll let you start here. Give us a, give us a few things that you're really thankful for with the Charlotte Hornets teams. Maybe something that surprised you. Uh,
0: maybe something you just really like watching with the squad. I guess I'll just really just have two things that I'm thankful I guess it would be more than that, but just two things that kind of stick out with these the Hornets team and this franchise that I'm thankful for. One of them being is Coach Clifford. He's been very steady. Uh, we finally have a coach that we can call one of the top in the league. Um, we've had our fair share of coaches throughout the Bobcats slash Hornets franchise between you know, Dunlap and uh, Sam Vincent, Larry Brown. Um, but I truly feel that you know that Clifford, he's kind of been very steady. You know what you're getting with him. Um, he has a great basketball mind. And I don't think a lot of Hornets fans truly appreciate you know, what he has done for this organization. And I truly am thankful for the fact that we do have a a great coach in Clifford. Uh, The second thing that I would say that I'm thankful for with this Hornets team uh, has just been Kimba's play and his progression throughout the years. He has steadily climbed, steadily improved in all aspects, but especially in the shooting area. You know, when he came out of college... You he was very very inconsistent shooting the ball and like we talked about in last episode you know people would go under the screens and we and we can't do they can't do that anymore with with Kemba um, so those are the two things that I'm, I'm very thankful for it's it's Coach Clifford um, and you know I would consider him a top coach top five top seven coach in the league and then Kemba's progression throughout the year um, he's truly become you know our star our face of the franchise and his progression has been has been great.
1: Well, I, I have a few things, too, to be exact, as well. And uh, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth with Coach Clifford. I, I'm super thankful that that guy's in Charlotte, and I hope that the Hornets can hang on to him for a long time. I mean that there is a culture coach, and what I mean by that is is a guy that is going to instill uh, a style of play in in a group of professional basketball players, and and I guess there is a kind of a a bullet point uh, under that to be thankful for a group of guys in the Charlotte Hornets uh, and, and what we have on this roster that are willing to buy in, okay, uh, to what their coach is, is teaching and, and what he's drilling home to them. A group of guys who are willing to put their egos aside and really come together and work together. And, and fight and battle to accomplish a common goal. And and that's more rare than I think a lot of people realize in this league, especially on a team without an all-star, which the Hornets are. The only way that this this roster works and spits out wins like it does is when everybody's on the same page. It starts with Clifford, and it should be a testament to the group of guys that are in that locker room. So I'm, I'm certainly thankful for that. The second thing I'm thankful for really is just, you know, I grew up in – close to charlotte north carolina and i remember the old charlotte hornets i remember as a kid going to playoff games when the charlotte coliseum and the hive was it was it was the show in town you know not only in charlotte but really in the nba yep. i mean leading the league in attendance a few years so i'm thankful that this organization has an opportunity Um, to to recapture that. I'm not sure that they ever will, and I would almost venture to say they probably won't. Um, They're working with a different generation of fan now, um, but you can see the marketing efforts coming out of Charlotte, and and, and I think you can see the product on the floor, and you can see a path that delivers you close to what Charlotte once had with professional basketball. I, I don't know that it'll happen again. But they have the opportunity to capture it, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. It makes this thing a lot of fun. Um, so on that note, Richie, um, I think we'll let all these folks uh, go eat some turkey, go drink some eggnog. I don't know. Do you drink eggnog on Thanksgiving, or is that just Christmas?
0: Well, I don't drink it at all, but I think that's just a Christmas thing. <laughs>
1: okay. So so go, go be festive, folks. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, again, thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate uh, all the Queen City Hoops list, uh, listeners of the podcast, all the Queen City Hoops readers of the blog. So make sure you're reading us and, and coming to us first for all your Charlotte Hornets uh, thoughts, insight, and analysis. Uh, Richie, any, any thoughts for the folks as we leave them for Thanksgiving?
0: Eat a lot of food. Uh, enjoy your time with your family as well.
1: All right, folks. So, again, we really appreciate it. Um, continue to give us feedback. We've We've gotten... little bit i actually put out a tweet on queen city hoops and my handle earlier to tweet any questions we didn't get anything back and that's okay because this thing is new but we we do encourage the feedback and, and hope that you guys uh enjoy what we're doing here so far if you don't let us know if you do let us know as well so on that note happy thanksgiving to everyone go hornets we'll see you guys next week